1: kind of getting you down isn't it (laughs) i'm looking at dave as i'm uh, doing it knowing that he likes to be outdoors and doing outdoorsy things especially with the pup anyway uh 2022 has been a busy and productive year for the province's fishing industry fishing brings over a billion dollars in value to the newfoundland and labrador economy every year but there remain some real challenges coming off a topsy-turvy period through the pandemic not to mention the devastation caused by hurricane Fiona, Well, my guest today is Secretary-Treasurer of the Fish, Food and Allied Workers Union, Jason
0: Spingle. Hello. Good afternoon, Linda. Nice to be speaking with you today.
1: And nice to have you on the show. So this year is ending up with a little bit of upheaval. <laughs> Your longtime president has stepped down. Was that a surprise?
0: Uh, yeah, I think it was a surprise Keith had uh, informed me, I guess, in my uh you know, in, in the position that I ran for and got their secretary treasurer and, um, in terms of the transition, but I think most people are surprised, but, um, as he stated, you know, as a personal decision, and we see that with uh, people in, in any job really, uh, you know, uh, let alone uh, something that is demanding as president of, of this organization. So I think it's a, it's a period of, uh, I guess, change for Keith, a, de- a personal decision, and certainly, uh, you know really enjoy working with keith and and as i said uh wish him all the best going forward for sure
1: and indeed and in the i mean you know we're, we're coming off that uh, pandemic period as i mentioned and it's, it's given a lot of ta- people time to reflect and think about things
0: yeah no like i said i think people make decisions for a number of different reasons and uh and uh you know they say people Change jobs uh, quite often in life, right? So uh, I think that's uh, that's certainly what Keith has communicated, and I think we, you know, most of us can see that that, that uh, we see people do that um, all the time, really. So, like I said, certainly uh, have enjoyed working with them, and um, and and uh, I know we'll stay in touch in whatever capacity, and uh, we have to move forward now with the, as you said, we have a billion-dollar industry uh that's in landed value. You know, and, and I think Keith has used this term and, and other people have used it that the fishery uh is, you know, uh, the 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 renewable mega project in this province. You know, we've talked about mega projects and I guess they're important, uh, but the fishery is one that we know can continue on uh, support us since we came here and can, can do so for uh well into the future and uh, you know last year we had uh, over almost uh, seven, I think it was 758 million, is what's recorded for snow crab. Uh, we reached uh, for the first time ever $100 million in lobster uh, landed value. That resource is increasing. And uh, the northern cod fishery, while there's, you know, there, there was certainly with the abundance that we're seeing, uh, we we certainly feel, and the low, I mean, even DFO science herself says a very low fishing mortality. Uh, I would say one of the lowest fishing mortalities in the world uh, means that, you know, the fishery is not, not taking much of the biomasses out there. We could have, we should have um, some increases there, um, and that's, uh, but it's becoming more of an important opportunity you know, right from Labrador down through to uh, right down through the northeast coast. So, uh, th- you know, those are some of the the highlights for for 2022, and we look forward to these things continuing in 2023. Uh, and you mentioned the challenges. I guess I can uh, I can speak to those as well. Some of the some of the challenges that we've had this year, and we have to deal with going forward. So.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm going to touch on a lot of those uh, in uh, in the next little while, but uh, you were mentioning um, the landed value of northern cod and crab and even lobster, but um, mackerel took a hit this year.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, I've uh, been certainly involved on that file in my previous role with the union. Uh, It's an Atlantic-wide resource, and um, we've been catching, uh, I think it's in line with what we're seeing with... uh, Global climate change or climate change in general, you know, Linda, there's there's uh, there's negatives. You mentioned Fiona. We're seeing these type of events in different places. I think most people, you know, see the warming we, uh, that's occurred. I think we're seeing that in the Gulf of St. Lawrence uh, more than probably anywhere else. But the temperatures in general have just been warmer, less sea ice and what have you. Uh, and the negatives have been events like Fiona. Um, the you know, the positives may be lobster, for example. A lot of people feel that the warmer waters, and that's what the science says, that warmer waters are better for lobster. But with the mackerel, what we've seen is a shift of the mackerel to the north, uh, more so than from where it is, and, and DFO science really hasn't adjusted to that. They keep doing their their annual survey and egg survey in the southern Gulf, and, you know, they're saying they can't find the number of eggs and larvae that would reflect a bigger amount of adult fish, but uh, and they went as far as to you know, and that's another issue closing fisheries uh, versus having small fisheries. I think uh, you know it's uh, ca- disconnecting people from a resource by closing fisheries. Closure of the mackerel. Uh, you know, also closure of uh, the small fishery with uh, codfish in, in the Gulf of St. Lawrence, but uh, the amount of mackerel that harvesters and people in general, because, you know, as I've said to, as we've said to people, uh, yeah, certain, you know, we say harvesters see fish, sometimes in order to see fish, you have to, because they're in, you know, you have to put the gear out and take it back, uh, you know, but with mackerel, you can actually see the fish from, From the shoreline because they breach in the surface, they're around wharves and coves, and uh, not only harvesters but non harvesters, community people all throughout uh, the province, right from the west coast right as far as Labrador. Uh, right down uh, to the Avalon, really in, in the later weeks, uh, but uh, certainly around Green Bay and White Bay, you know these uh, traditional areas have n- have never seen as much mackerel uh, as they did in two thousand and twenty two so there's a, you know to go from a to close a fishery and then to have these reports which have been shared on Facebook and really not to be able to make that connection with the science is very, very frustrating, and you know uh, mackerel as Supplied uh, is an opportunity that can supply uh, significant income to harvesters and work for plant workers and, you know, as I said, you go back to you think about harvesters and plant workers, but you have uh, offloaders, truck drivers, dockside monitors and I know growing up in, in the Labrador Straits, uh, when we see, you know, what the Labrador Fisherman's Union Shrimp Company and the fishery does there for example, how uh, the economic benefit spreads out to everyone, you know, in the community. So, uh, in the communities, I should say. So, yeah, mackerel is uh, is a couple of issues there. Number one, the need to do more science, but number two, the disconnect and trying to make that, uh, trying to make those um, impressions on DFO, and really having difficulty getting anywhere with it. And so we we went as far as this year. To, you know, we, we talked to all the people we could, including the minister, and we understand things take time to move. But we actually got a committee of our leadership, experienced mackerel harvesters, and did some of our own work that we'll be presenting at the assessment later on this winter. So these are some of the things that we have to do as an organization uh, to, to represent our members and try to move things forward. But uh, it's an area of frustration, the mackerel for sure.
1: I want to talk to you a little bit about the science uh, that you mentioned uh, when we come back after the break. Our guest today on On Target is FFAW Secretary Treasurer Jason Spingle. We'll be back right after this.
0: Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM.
1: Our guest today on On Target is Secretary Treasurer of the FFAW, Jason Spingle. And Jason, just before the break, you were talking about the mackerel fishery and its um, cancellation this year based on um, what you say is, a, a well, it comes from a lack of science. But how can that science be improved? You mentioned there's plenty of anecdotal evidence um, um, of mackerel in and around uh, the coastline. But uh, that's very different, of course, from biomass and understanding. Uh, their movements and recruitment, which is where the science comes in.
0: Yeah, so I did mention that we, uh, you know, and, and just to get back to, you know, you talk about I guess transition in leadership uh, for example, I just wanted to highlight there that, you know, we have a, a science team here uh, with uh, with a, a fishery scientist and a number of people that uh, help do collaborative work that we've been building on over the years, uh, people that this is their specific uh, role within the union to represent the membership in that capacity and make sure we understand and advocate on these important issues because it is it is a big part of what what drives fisheries to science. I think most people believe that that that's got to be a part of, of proper fisheries management. So uh, you know we we. T- Took the initiative to do to collect some uh, structured work. Uh, you know uh, samples as well as uh, acoustic readings, for example. Without getting into too much detail, we'll be presenting those, and we've also asked the department to look at, uh, you know, what they're doing in other jurisdictions, like in uh, in uh, in Europe, for example. So hopefully, there will be some changes made soon that will bridge the gap, certainly, in what what uh, we're seeing here and what what the science is saying. And that will uh, that will get us back to where we need to be to have some type of a certainly some type of a fishery on mackerel, and if you know to validate what we're seeing would would give us a real opportunity. So, uh, yeah, and just and just to go back to you know the organization, just uh, going to just make a point on that. You know, we have over 30. Uh, our members uh, can can note that we have over 30 professional staff working uh, on their behalf. Uh, and uh, our union is in a very strong place right now uh, organizational wise financial wise to to represent them going forward and meet the meet the needs and the challenges that uh, that we have to deal with i guess as as a part of this industry so um, so that's where we will look forward to moving on that uh and in in the context of other uh you know we talked about the positives with snow crab lobster and and i think cod certainly northern cod um we have uh, a shrimp fleet, um, and mainly, particularly particularly in the Gulf, because they don't have any snow crab allocations in the Gulf of St. Lawrence. And I've worked uh, personally with that fleet uh, for many, many years. We're seeing um, a decline in quotas in the Gulf shrimp. And, you know, we talked about the warming waters, but uh, I'm sure you've probably heard, many of your listeners would have heard about the, I think the word explosion, uh... of redfish uh... which was very very low biomass for many many years and about ten years ago there was uh... this just explosion of small redfish and uh... to to the point now in the gulf of st lawrence where dfo is saying that it is uh... the largest biomass ever recorded in atlantic canadian history they're talking over three million tons of biomass so this is a very big issue uh, for uh, For the uh, you know uh, certainly our harvesters, and I speak for those directly, but you know we 're in communication with other shrimp fleets in Quebec and New Brunswick that fish in the gulf and they 're facing the same concerns, uh, seeing the same uh, dealing with the same cuts in quota and uh, and this is a major issue we 've uh, continually. Um, advocate it to DFO, to the minister, to our politicians that the um, this transition, if you will, uh, because no doubt the redfish is having a significant direct impact on the shrimp, that uh, in order to stabilize the uh, the, the enterprises and the communities and the industry. Uh, certainly with shrimp, you have significant processing. Uh, like we have four, uh, three plants on the northern peninsula and one in Labrador. Well, the one in Labrador doesn't do a lot of golf shrimp, but it's still all connected. Uh, that um, this opportunity needs to go to support these fleets that are going to be, that are already significantly impacted by the, by the boom in redfish and the uh, decrease in shrimp uh and the communities um you know that depend on them so that's uh that's a major issue and uh you know we're seeing this this fishery closed similar to cod in the early ni- mid 90s that there was a moratorium put on uh redfish in the Gulf of St. Lawrence and this is a new fishery now and I guess there's a lot of people looking for access and people you know it Entities that fished it before, uh, you know, I guess it's compli- always complicated fisheries management. But for us, it's pretty simple. And that these enterprises now that have been fishing shrimp and some of them also fished cod and redfish too, are going to uh, are facing a very, very, very difficult situation. And redfish is is a way that uh, you know they need to get access to to a significant portion of uh, of that resource. So. Uh, That'll we'll we be continuing to advocate on their behalf
1: in terms of you know the bigger picture uh, when it comes to science I, I know there's uh, the FFAw has been uh, very uh, concerned about uh, the fact that there was no fall survey last year and no fall survey now again this year. What will that mean
0: well so it you know it means that I uh, appreciate that question, Linda what it means is that there's a lot of um, information that's not going to be available and you know I I used an example before uh, northern shrimp there seemed to be very uh, as opposed to the Gulf shrimp there were certainly more positive signs with northern shrimp and um, in in terms of the fishery that mainly occurs in the summer months there but without uh, a survey now um, how will this get c- captured it would be very difficult because the survey is a big portion of what DFO uses to make their uh, determinations on recommendations for and decisions on quotas. so um, and I mentioned Northern COD as well so this is uh, something that needs to get fixed but in the meantime how quickly will it get fixed it's hard to say uh, in these trans- transition you know you're talking about uh, a change from one vessel to another and if you've got major problems with a vessel, um, that may not get fixed as quickly as people want it to. So, you know, we have um, we've developed collaborative surveys in the Gulf of St. Lawrence. We have otter trawlers that do do a survey, um, and that's on ground fish and like a multi-species survey. It's done at a bit of a different time than the DFO survey. Uh, no doubt there needs to be a DFO survey, but in in the context of these problems there needs to be a backup. So with Snow Crab in 2000, way back in 2003, we developed a postseason trap survey. There was just a meeting on Monday with our leadership to talk about how to, uh, you know, continue to build and improve on that survey uh, that occurs all over Newfoundland, Labrador, and we may, you know, we really think we get we're going to have to focus on something like another uh, survey on the Northeast Coast and Labrador that will, uh, I guess, be a secondary. And also, if there is a case where one doesn't uh, one has issues that the other one is there to to provide the information that's required but certainly a significant issue and uh, we're looking at that uh, in detail at this time
1: and some might argue that the, there's no more important time than now um, to be collecting this data because with uh, climate change, things are changing so rapidly and uh, fish and other creatures are on the move and places where they were traditionally seen, they're not being seen anymore and suddenly they're showing up in other areas. You just referenced the redfish, of course.
0: Yeah, and I guess redfish were, were in the Gulf uh, uh, before there was significant fishery, but they're certainly further to the north now. Uh, another positive story is, uh, and I was, I was just had a meeting yesterday on, on northeast coast and Labrador groundfish, 2J3KL groundfish, and halibut is certainly there's been an explosion of you know, and I use this these terms, it may seem exaggerative, but redfish and halibut as well. I mean, the uh, increase in halibut is um, hasn't uh, been seen was what happens in the past 15 years and as it's, it's uh it's spread to deeper waters in the gulf to the coastal areas right up to the Labrador or uh, Belle Isle Strait I should say in places where these fish were basically never seen and now they're seeing them in in uh, you know off Saint Anthony and off uh, Charlottetown Labrador and these places so uh there's lots of work to be done to try to quantify these things and to uh, to get a handle on um, you know, building on potential opportunities for, for all harvesters. So,
1: Our guest today on On Target is Jason Spengel with the FFAW. We'll be back right after this.
0: Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the wellness and healthy lifestyle show on your VOCM.
1: And we're back. My guest today on on Target is the Secretary-Treasurer of the Fish, Food, and Allied Workers Union, Jason Spingle. And, um, Jason, we had a recent SEAL Summit in St. John's. Were you in attendance there?
0: Yes, I was uh, uh, able to uh, get an invitation to attend the meeting and uh, spent the two days there. It was, um, uh, you know, I guess all of the... uh, Experts, including uh, people that, uh, for sure, are sealers, uh, the processors, to um, all the people in science and management and in DFO and all the you know politicians as well and other interested parties, I guess in. Um, Different people, uh, in uh, in particular, with the manuf- you know, the production and manufacturing and development of seal products. And I, uh, I knew there were a lot of products myself. That was talked to a lot of people for sure. But uh, what was amazing was the array of uh, just unbelievably great products, from biofuels to nutraceuticals and uh, pet supplies. And so, you know what. Wow. We go back to the point that it was acknowledged that we have uh, this resource has never been more abund- abundant harp seals and and gray seals, uh, in particular. Uh, the harp seals being further to the north, the gray seals further to the south, Uh, and it was acknowledged of the impact that they're having uh, on the imbalance in the ecosystem. And that's really was an important point that was brought out. I guess uh, one particular speaker said, you know, we have the issue of people saying, you know, seals have to be protected, uh, and, uh, you know, if you have, uh, on the extreme side of things, the animal rights movement, if you will, Uh, but, you know, what will we have if if the imbalance is not corrected what will we have in terms of our resources and uh, the evidence points to uh, uh, an imbalance for sure and uh, without some correction of this uh, and mother nature doesn't seem to be uh, doesn't seem to be happening naturally that we uh, you know we may lose some of our our resources so what what uh, what is the path forward you know no one everyone wants to see uh, um uh, full utilization uh, sustainable industry which is there and i guess that's going to have to be that's where we really need to get to is to get to a, a place where we can market all the products that are there everything from from the fur to the to the oils to the meats and all the products that are produced with them uh, to the markets that are that are there and i guess you know we can look to develop new markets but that is certainly going to take political will and will on a, on a, on all of our part but certainly um it's yeah no surprise i mean you know that uh that uh, the seals are been having a significant impact and um and if something is not done um to uh, to curtail that impact we we may be faced with um you know i guess to put it simply it was one could say well you know harvesting seals could impact our our markets but if you don't have anything to market i guess it's uh... the 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 to put it very simply then then that's another another issue so it's uh... you know i guess it's been a controversial subject but i think it was a good first step to have uh... all of the information and the people involved in every capacity of of, of the sealing industry to to have a informed discussion so uh, you know it's uh something we have to uh, there may be some, there are some difficult decisions there, but we you know first and foremost i think and that was a message that was brought out clear we have to protect uh we have to look at protecting the marine diversity of of our uh, of our fisheries and our ecosystem in general.
1: There was a bit of a chaotic start to the fishery this year. I don't need to tell you about that. Some plants uh, refusing to buy, of course. Some harvesters refusing to go out for the price that was set. Uh, what was behind some of that upheaval, and has that been figured out now?
0: Well, I, I'm not sure that it's been all figured out. Uh, the You know, it's a tough year with, with the companies in many cases, the the you know, the people that uh, buy the fish. We had one company that refused to pay a, a, pair, a fair price for the inshore shrimp. I mean, and that fishery was didn't start when we had hoped it would start. It was well into the summer. And uh, at the same time, the, you know, uh, they told harvesters to go to Quebec to sell their catch. I mean, it didn't not that's not logical and and we actually had a couple harvesters that went to other quebec and i think another harvester went to nova scotia and got a price that was better than what they were being out quite a bit better than what they were being offered so you know it didn't really it didn't really add up so uh, for us, you know, this type of behavior is unacceptable. You know, processing, we've said it before, we'll maintain it, that processing licenses are a privilege and are responsibilities to to the province and to the communities and the regions where they're located. So uh, I guess, uh, you know, we hope that going forward that we can build more of a relationship of bargaining good faith and more specifically and pertinently to that point uh... we were pleased that uh... after this summer's turmoil uh, that the uh... there was a review on the fishing industry collective bargaining act i mean uh... the uh, the Akronford as the FICBA of course and they had uh... mister david conway he provided uh... did a review and provided a number of recommendations that we see as positive uh... and if they're implemented um, could put us, uh, will put us in much better, uh, in much better position to, to you know, achieve agreements or get closer, uh, you know, allow the panel to be closer to what the the price is going to be. So. Um, um, so we'll continue to uh work with the, with this uh report and press upon the uh, provincial government who's responsible for this of course to get a system in place that implements some of these changes like more transparency uh on what um, on what the markets and the you know things like yields are for for a lot of these species and you know to um, to move things forward here so uh You know, and then finally, we look forward to getting back to -to face-to-face negotiations. Everything's been done virtual now since the pandemic. Get back to the table, all parties, um, including our our staff uh, that deal with this, uh, and for sure our volunteers. And uh, you know, I talked about the staff that work on behalf of all the membership. But this organization runs on uh, hundreds of uh, dedicated volunteers and leadership, uh, both elected and unelected, that uh, that work on behalf of of the people in their communities to um, to get a lot of this work done. So um, so hopefully the FICBA review and uh, you know I'm we're confident that is going to lead to some positive changes that will make it better for both sides to to get closer to where the, uh, the market is and, and provide the returns that, uh, that people feel are, are fair.
1: Speaking of markets, I know there's been a lot of upheaval uh, globally um, because of the pandemic and uh, supply chain issues and all the rest of that. How are we doing with our markets? Are, are we selling to the same kinds of places that we used to sell to and getting good prices?
0: Yeah, I think overall. Uh, uh, so, like I said, the last couple of years we talked about the value of the fishery, uh, and uh, we know that that things can uh, can change. Uh, certainly, it would be too early to speculate on uh, on what the, the markets are going to be. You know, specific markets are going to be. Most 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 of our products go to to has been going to the same markets. Like a lot of our snow crab goes into the United States. A lot of the shrimp goes into. Um, our shrimp goes into European markets, for example, and some of that changes uh, from, I guess, you know, a little bit uh, over periods of time. But uh, I think new markets are always being developed by the people that sell the fish, and I've seen certain, I've seen some recent presentations on that, um, and I think markets are expanding everywhere. But, you know, to, ch- to talk to the challenges, and we're all seeing it, you know, Linda, with. Uh, uh, the price of diesel fuel, in particular, which uh, any longliner, you know, the boat that has a diesel engine, there, or a medium to a larger size boat, you know, the cost has doubled from what it's been uh, basically last year, near doubled. So um, these are, this is a significant cost and uh one that harvesters are going to have to grapple with, but at the same time, even gasoline that are used in outboards to use more for example in the lobster and cod fisheries is 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 significantly higher as well so these costs and particularly fuel is one that harvesters have to uh have to going to have to deal with and it can be it will be significant uh, if you know if it doesn't change we'll have to see so uh so these are things that uh, that people have to to look at and plan for their businesses. But like you said, uh, if you have a cost like fuel that's doubled, um, and just just to give an example, I mean, what what the, the bills are from some of these enterprises. I, had a, I think I'll give this example. I had a shrimp fisherman that uh, called me this summer, and uh, he had. Uh, he left Saint Anthony, he went off Labrador for two trips of shrimp. Then he came back and uh, caught his northern shrimp. We call that. And he came back to Portiswaille and had one trip. And he said, Jason, how much fuel do you think it just? I just I had my boat full, and so I just folded up after that. Uh, those three sh- trips of shrimp. And I said, I don't know, I wouldn't hazard a guess, but I'll try uh, $20,000. And he told me $37,000. And that was in July, so early August, somewhere around there. And we noted the fuel bill. So, you know, people, um, these costs are, are, uh, I guess, hard for... uh, (laughs) You know, you have to hear them in order to to really believe that they're there. I guess uh, for a lot of people, operating these enterprises, very, very expensive and and adds to the challenge. Um, And, you know, people talk about why you need to get good prices, and that would be a specific example there for sure. $37,000. Yep.
1: Yep.
0: Wow. That's, uh, you know, so... um, you see why you know they need a decent price for their product in order to to pay the bills and their crew and and their enterprises as well. So it was yeah, it was uh you know, these uh, shrimp in particular burns a lot of fuel, but every you know, it's it's a big cost for every harvester out there. So uh it, almost any harvester is talking about thousands of dollars when it comes to fuel and many are talking about tens of thousands, right? So
1: Just amazing. Uh, When we come back, I want to ask you a few more things, including um, uh, the impact on lobster and uh, some of these designations that have been given to certain uh, types of lobster. I know Maine lobster now, but uh, there was uh, some concern about Newfoundland lobster for a little period of time. I want to talk to you a little bit about that and some uh, of the other things facing the union and its membership. Our guest today on On Target is uh, Secretary-Treasurer of the Fish, Food, and Allied Workers Union, Jason Spingle. We'll be back right after this.
0: Your VOCM Mornings with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays on your VOCM.
1: And our guest today is the Secretary Treasurer of the FFAW, Jason Spingle. And uh, Jason, I noticed that the FFAW was very quick to respond when Seafood Watch, out of the United States, uh, uh, claimed that uh, lobster was no longer a sustainable choice for people because of the threat to right whales. Uh, did that has that had an impact on the local lobster fishery here?
0: Well, so our season is a spring and summer season. Uh, the earliest season start in April and end, uh, end in June to July, um, early July. So we'll have to see. Right now, we don't have any indication that it's having an impact. Uh, we uh, And the fisheries that are ongoing, like those in Maine and Nova Scotia, one of the big fisheries just started there. But uh, I just attended the recent uh, North Atlantic Right Whale Advisory that was held in Moncton. And um, you know the, um, the the key is for as as we continue to communicate. While there's been a couple of sightings of um, uh, right whales in Newfoundland lab well not Labrador waters in Newfoundland waters, they've been outside uh, the um, the fishery. Uh, to, for shore to major fisheries, and there certainly haven't been on any uh, lobster grounds. They've been more offshore. So, I mean, we're talking about uh, averaging maybe an, uh, um, one to two confirmed sightings on average over the past five or six years. So, um, if you want, as I've said before, if you want fisheries that certainly aren't impacting uh, right whales, then Newfoundland and Labrador fisheries aren't. And we haven't had any uh, thankfully, any um, interaction with with fishing gear or harvesters and right whales. So, you know, we continue to put forward that message and uh, try to work uh, with the department on some issues, like we did the uh, coated rope, colored rope to identify gear. But um, but we hope that people will you know hear the message that we're put out there and, and that people will report. Accurately, Uh, you know, we can't control what some of these people say. Well, hopefully, the consumers will see what the facts are as we as we put them out there. So, uh, um, you know, that's uh, hopefully the impact will be will be minimal based on the facts that are available.
1: And, of course, there's all kinds of work now into uh, ropeless gear and all kinds of things in light of the new regulations here in Canada. Do you think that that will benefit us to a a degree if, um, let's say, um, American consumers move away from Maine lobster?
0: Um. I, I think it's I, I won't speculate on that. Um I think that you know, that the government is looking at a one size fits all policy with some of these things. They've delayed now the the um inter, the gear policies, the ropeless gear or a weak uh, weak rope uh, for another year while the while more testing is done. But uh, you know, harvesters in this province are, are certainly uh very adamant and uh, based on their experience that something like weak rope is certainly not going to work for the deep uh, water fisheries in the harsh conditions of Newfoundland Labrador. Labrador. So, but if we don't have any whales or very minimal, very minimal sightings of whales, the question is well, why would, why would we uh, have to do that? I guess we'll continue to advocate on their behalf, but uh, some, some of this is going to develop over time, I guess.
1: What's going on at Long Harbor?
0: Yeah, so I just want to acknowledge, you know, we've talked a lot about fisheries. Certainly that's a big part of our organization. But we have, uh, you know, thousands of uh, members in uh, processing plants, uh, harvesters. But we have thousands of members in processing plants, dockside monitors, in hospitality, uh, in hotels and manufacturing. So, you know, uh, Long Harbor are members that um, recently organized in the last uh, few years. And it was, a, it was a really tough year for our members there who experienced a short end of Valet's contract flip. And, uh, you know, what happened there is the company re a contract from Pentagon to another company, D.F. Barnes, which saw about 175 skilled trade workers lose their collective agreement and the wages, benefits, and protections that went along with it just basically, you know, overnight. And, you know, if you look at Sitting down, anyone negotiating a contract over a workforce, having a vote on that, ratifying it, and that someone could say okay we 're just going to put this over to another company and you lose all that it certainly uh, i don't think anyone would see that as being uh, something that's uh, that's uh, should should be allowed really and you know it was it was disheartening to see our premier there in front of the media touting this as a win for Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, when when our workers, you know, a lot of them faced option of not going back to work or facing, you know, up to a 30% cut in pay. So um, this situation highlights a major flaw for us in the provincial law and something that needs to be changed. Uh, so, you know, people are not living... Uh, living on the edge you know wondering about tomorrow just because uh just watching for a, a, a flip of a contract so that's one that uh, we'll continue to advocate on and and uh, like i said for me i i think we can all see the uh the unfairness in in that particular situation i mean once a contract's in place a new company can take it but the uh, the contract needs to go with it until until the next uh until that contract is up, is what you know, for at least at a minimum. So, uh,
1: and Jason, that's uh, one area of concern, but uh, there the union uh, was very quick to applaud uh, the extension to EI sick benefits.
0: Yep, so a lot of people uh, facing a lot of challenges, uh, and we saw that with the pandemic for sure in seasonal work, short term work, and people uh, having you know put in difficult situations and uh, people that you know don't have the insurance uh, probably can't afford the insurance to cover themselves when they do get sick and so moving from uh, having the EI system move from 15 weeks of uh, sick leave to 26 weeks is a huge uh, benefit for workers. And there uh, was a lot of work done out of our office here and our team here to uh, to help secure that. And what we say, that's one that's one step to a reformed EI Act will that will, uh, that will uh, make the uh, uh, make things more secure for workers and uh, more beneficial uh, so that when you know unemployment and/ or sickness happens that uh, people have more security to be able to look out for themselves and then get back into the workforce when, when they're ready. So that was uh, that was certainly a, 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 a big uh, big news, positive news. Uh, for that program, which is certainly important to to so many people in our province, but across the country, that uh, you know, in a lot of the primary production, that where things are are seasonal, like the fishery, like uh, forestry, like construction as well, and, and so on and so forth. So, uh, we're very glad to see that.
1: When all is said and done, of course, the big story out of 2022 here in Newfoundland and Labrador, of course, is going to be Hurricane Fiona and the impact that's had on residents and people involved in the fishing industry. Because not only did it uh, affect people's homes, but it affected all kinds of fishing infrastructure uh, and the like. Um, How are harvesters doing in that area? What's the union doing to help?
0: So we... uh so again in my former role I say I I think uh, know, um, or I do know every one of those individuals personally work with them closely and uh, over over the years and uh you know to hear the devastation when i spoke to them uh, many of them is uh, was quite difficult you know they uh, uh, thankfully uh, there was only one harvester that had some damage to their home and first thing that they mentioned was you know we've lost so much our fishing sheds with all our gear in it but we know a lot of a lot of our neighbors have lost their homes so uh you know, not, not unexpected in small communities or in our province to have that type of response. But what we've done is we put two uh, of our s- full-time staff, uh, We, you know, we consulted with uh, provincial government, uh, FESS, uh, Foreign Emergency Services, ACOA, and we've... Uh, uh, went out and had two of our staff go and directly meet with our impacted members, fill out the appropriate applications, get the appropriate documentation, and they've done a, an exceptional job with that and they're working through the system and uh, I think a lot of the a uh, lot of the documentation that the governments are looking for is uh, is getting near completion. Uh what I would say is that, you know, um two to the government agencies out there. Uh, You know, they've been working with us, but uh, it's important that this is looked at as something that we haven't experienced in this province uh, or in Atlantic Canada, this type of devastation. Like I said, we had many harvesters um, in in the southwest coast region, communities like Burnt Islands, Rose Blanche, and some remote areas where people fish lobster from, uh, you know, in and around La Poile, these communities that had a fishing shed, which is, you know, worth several thousand dollars, uh, you know, a building it might be uh, 20 by 24, just to give some specifics, but, you know, and har- and harvesters will understand this for sure, I think a lot of people understand it, all their fishing gear, tools, outboard motors, holler motors in this, and that was just swept away basically with, you know, uh, within, within, within seconds really, when that when that sea came in and took everything right, right in front of her eyes. So, um, so I think we've done everything we can to this point, and uh, urge certainly, and we'll continue to urge the people that will make the final decisions to, to. Um Get this done as efficiently as possible because people have lost tens of thousands of dollars in 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 a lifetime of work and materials, and you know they've got to go fishing next spring. Uh, halibut starts in the, that area April one, and it's going to be important to get that compensation to them. So, uh, yeah, like I said, it's uh, people said said to me. Many people said, Jason, I just. Uh, just couldn't believe it. Like I said, I saw the videos and the pictures. I can't believe it either, but it was certainly uh, unbelievable. Really, no one, no one could have ever. I mean, they. These are people that experienced, like all our people in our coastal communities, or in our province. I guess uh, storms. Uh, we've all seen big storms and big seas, but to see something like this was. Uh, I don't know other way to describe it as uh, just unbelievable, really, right? And uh, and that's from a negative sense. So
1: yeah, for sure. And Jason, just like that, we're out of time. Uh, I really appreciate your time this afternoon. Thanks very much.
0: Yeah, no, thank you, Linda. And I just want to say that we'll be getting out, meeting with our members in the new year. That's a focus of ours, and we look forward to seeing everyone. And certainly want to wish everyone a very merry Christmas, a happy new year. And uh, I'm sure we'll be speaking uh, with you in the new year as well, Linda. So same to you.
1: Of that, I have little doubt. And Merry Christmas to you as well. Thanks very much. Well, uh, well I won't be in tomorrow, but uh, uh, Richard Duggan is going to be working on a little something for you. I'm taking the day off tomorrow, so stay tuned for that. I'll be back next week. Uh, do take care. Have a great weekend. And um, thanks for listening.